Welcome everybody, my name is Adnan Shafi and I am going to be hosting Pariah Nation once again. I know it's been a while, it's been around a month or so since we've been posting, but as usual, I just felt like around this time of the year, this is the best time for me to take a break. I didn't really mention it specifically on my channel and I do apologize for that, but I'm not going to waste your time any further. <laughs> Let's get straight into the podcast. Today we're going to be talking about one of my experiences with racism in Mauritius. So if that's the main tea that you want to hear about, then go to around halfway through the podcast. You should find the whole entire story there. But if you want me to share some more stories, I mean, you don't really want to miss out on that, I'm guessing, then please do stay. And I'm just going to be talking very briefly about some of my experiences as well, just with white travelers in the past. And I'm bringing this up not to say that, oh, every single white traveler is bad. But I'm saying, again, every single person has some sort of bias and in this case all non-black people have some certain anti-black bias because of the way that we've been brought up in a society that essentially the the ruling classes have been anti-black and by this i mean like in terms of the global order so you're able to like a sponge just absorb information and stereotypes and you know it's okay everyone has subconscious bias just as long as you're willing to be corrected when that actually does happen to you so let me not waste too much of your time and i'm just gonna sort of with a bit of a reflection over here because uh, this specific experience that I had in Mauritius kind of made me think about what Fanon and MSSR said about isolation and essentially being put towards the fringes of society as a black person. So you don't just exist as a human being, you exist as a black human being or a black woman, a black man. People don't really see you as fully human until, you know, I mean, they just generally don't in, a, in terms of uh, from a racial lens. And I'm going to get into that just in a bit. And just to sort of give you some some perspective, because Du Bois was living in essentially, yeah, racist, segregationist America. And uh, this is what he had to say in The Souls of Black Folk. This is on page eight, uh, the Oxford edition. Might just leave like a citation in uh, the comments, not the comments, but the description of the podcast if you really want to check it out. I highly re- recommend that you do read the full book, though. Um, and yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, he essentially describes his time as a kid and when he was growing up, they were going to this other place. And this is what he has to say about how he was treated in, in like differently in, in comparison to his other friends who are not black. And he says this on page eight. Then it dawned upon me with a certain suddenness that I was different from the others or like mayhap in heart and life and longing but shut out from the world by a vast veil. I had thereafter no desire to tear down that veil, to creep through. I held all beyond it in common contempt and lived above it in a region of blue sky and great wandering shadows. So this is just very briefly explaining us to, to us what it was like. He was a kid and he was going to have fun with some of his friends who were white. And his humanity was stripped away from him because they denied his ticket, essentially. And... From that moment, he realized he was a black person. He was no longer just a kid. And funny thing is that this is not something you just see in one text. It's something that you see across many texts, but I'm only going to just choose Du Bois' work today and also Franz Fanon, uh, his work on uh, black skin, white masks. And on page 114, he talks about the time when he was also a child. And essentially, this little girl came to him and said, oh, mom, look, a nigger. And this is how he realized, you know, this is exactly how the world sees me. Even a little girl sees me that way. So he mentions uh, on page 114, the man was expected to behave like a man. 
I was expected to behave like a black man, or at least like a nigger. So you can generally see from these experiences, that's the whole point of, in their case, obviously, it was very conscious and very explicit racism. But even microaggressions nowadays and these forms of you know subtle racism, which is exactly what I'm going to get into in a, in a moment, those do make you feel isolated. And this is exactly why a lot of black people have their own spaces. And just in general, people from POC backgrounds tend to have their own spaces where they feel like they're safe from all these different kind of um, you know stereotypes or microaggressions. And that's the same reason why sometimes you find that people don't even speak up about explicit racism because people don't really believe them, etc. And that's just adding on to this isolation. So I'll just briefly get into my descriptions of what, I mean, how I've personally experienced this in my life and how it led to the story of whatever happened in Mauritius. So I remember the first time I really experienced this, you know, so, sort of subconscious racism, especially with white travelers, um, it was in Mombasa. So for those who don't know, Mombasa is a coastal city in Kenya and uh, it's a tourist hotspot, especially the south coast of Mombasa. What you're going to find is that a lot of predominantly white Europeans usually go there from Italy, Germany, the UK as well. Like everyone just goes there, whether it's for New Year's, you just find them going there. And also like, you know, Masai Mara is another hotspot as well. So, I mean, it doesn't mean that us Kenyans don't go on holiday, by the way. And this is actually what we're doing with our family. But we essentially went to Mombasa and we're going on this other tour and the driver was a bit late. And we're being picked up with another family because the the tourist, I mean, tourism company essentially booked all of our tickets together, which was like, yeah, no problem. And this driver was late. Keep in mind, like, yeah, people get late all the time. It doesn't matter which side of the planet you're on. But the moment that we got into the car, they started saying in German, oh, yeah, no, this is just, this is how it is in Africa, essentially. And my mom can speak a bit of German. So she was able to clock what they were saying. And I mean, I just found it so, so insane because this is exactly how they viewed the continent. And it's like, you know, some people come to the continent with that sort of mentality of, oh, we're going into the jungle. We're going to see, you know, savages. It's like, and it's all subconscious, but for some people it comes out in these these forms. And this is why I'm saying that, you know, when you're coming to the continent, if any if anyone here is a white European listening to my podcast, um, just, you need to really work on that subconscious bias. And that's like, it applies to everyone when it comes to bias, like you have to work on your bias, etc. But I, I really urge you to, to start critiquing that inner voice. And regardless of how strong it is, just critique it. Because that really shapes how you view the continent, how you experience the continent, and how you possibly even dehumanize those who live on the continent. So I'm just going to go into another story um, from the UK. And this is like a very recent story. Uh, but I believe that divine decree played a role here. And it definitely, it would have shown this person how hypocritical their statement about the African continent was. So long story short, you need a COVID test that's negative uh, approximately 72 hours before you travel to Kenya. So I was getting that COVID test and the first time I had to cancel because of my, one of my friends got COVID. So I had to move the test to the next week, essentially. So my entire trip plans changed. But now I went there and I remember the the, the lady who was taking the COVID test just told me, you know, oh, um, wh which country are you going to? And I said, I'm going to Kenya. And, uh, you know, she knows it's in East Africa. And she was like, oh, yeah, you might need a printed version because, you know, Africa is just, you know, it's a minefield. So you never know what you'll need. And I'm just there trying to clock what she just said. But in the whole process, what I ended up doing was I was trying to explain whatever, you know, just explain that, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't, that, that one experience that you had in Nigeria doesn't dictate 
the entire story of the African continent. So you don't have to necessarily superimpose that narrative on the continent. But I didn't even get the chance to, she spoke over me, whatever, it doesn't, I was not gonna fight anyone, you know. I was just in there for a COVID test and I wanted to leave immediately. So just to add on to this story, and I think what makes it even more ironic for me is just simply the fact that a lot of people, especially Westerners, they think that, oh, you know, these problems that are happening on the African continent, that they're exclusive to the African continent. And they think that it's something that's intrinsic to the identity of Africa as a continent as a whole. But I mean, what really made me laugh was the fact that that COVID test, yeah, that COVID test got lost in transit. So I had to cancel my flight. I'd packed all my bags and everything. I had to cancel my flight at 5 a.m. in the morning because like now I had to get on a coach, head to whatever, and then uh, take my flight from there. But I had to cancel my flight because they lost it. So now just imagine that irony, saying, oh, Africa's a minefield, acting as if Europe also doesn't have these problems or the West doesn't have these problems. In fact, I would just like to challenge this before I even speak about the, the whole Mauritius experience. And I'll talk about my experience uh, in the UK. I think even a lot of Africans that I've, I've, to, I've talked to, like I've had some conversations with people, I've talked to them about the homeless, homelessness situation in the city that I live in in the UK. And people are shocked that, you know, people are homeless. They're like, oh my gosh, they have poverty in Europe. Of course they do. I'm not saying that obviously it's to the, the same degree as certain African countries, but it's there. And the whole point is that people have their own individual experiences, which are also quite nasty in the UK. So, I mean, uh, this was one of the things that I came across. And then also the, the NHS, like the health system, um, I found it really odd. The only advantage that I could possibly see was the fact that you didn't have to pay for healthcare. But in terms of, for example, people like waiting for to get access to healthcare, like, you know, people would essentially have um, some of their relatives waiting 12 hours to find a hospital bed. And at the same time, I know this other friend of mine, his dad had to get a surgery and he had to wait two years to get that surgery. But if he didn't get that surgery, like within the next few months, then he would have gone blind. So what, what, what exactly, or how is that different in terms of a country having problems? Like, how is that different to some of the stories that we hear in our continent? It doesn't really make a material difference. The only thing is now, people might be saying, yeah, Adnan, you can't surely be saying that they're the same. I'm not saying that they're the same. But to try and compare two different continents and to claim that hardship is intrinsic to the identity of one, when you also forget that one of the reasons why life could be considered to be significantly easier economically in the West is because of the fact of uh, imperialism. The whole fact that these nations were able to use looted wealth and resources to generate profit and they put this profit back into their countries. So if you want to compare infrastructure, like on what basis are you doing that? It just really didn't make any uh, sense to me. And even some people could even just argue like, you know, I don't know how some people feel about the whole thing of, you know, uh, you know, sending uh, elderly parents, uh, you know, to, to certain care homes. Obviously, some people don't have the means to be able to take care of the family. Um, but even like, you know, I've heard different, like, you know, views. Like, a lot of people just trying to idolize, like, you know, the Western and like, you know, Western values, etc. All these different things. And then, for example, I mentioned that as a fact that it's quite common to have, you know, certain care homes. And then I come back to the continent and I tell people that and they're shocked. Some people are really shocked because obviously of the cultural difference. So, I mean, it really, really depends. I mean, like, on what standard are you basing this comparison on? And this is exactly what I'm going to uh, just end on over here. And I'm going to end actually with a quote, right, uh, from uh, Césaire, because we're also talking about problems, you know, in different continents. And he talks about a civilization that proves incapable of solving the problem 
it creates is a decadent civilization. And now we'll talk about a bit about, about racism and, you know, mass incarceration, things like that, poverty. So these countries have created things like, you know, obviously through their imperialism, you have people migrating to the West, especially Europe, and then they're complaining about the issue. And for me, I just find that really hypocritical. And then in addition to that, you have things like racism, creating the issue of racism, blaming poverty on cult, like black culture, whatever that means anyways. And then you blame it on that community instead of actually addressing those issues. So in that respect, or in that regard, like if people want to talk about certain societal issues and discuss about like, you know, how every civilization views its most vulnerable, you can actually have a discussion and put the Western world under the microscope and maybe even possibly come to the conclusion that they are in fact less developed than other countries, other countries in the world that have taken care of the more vulnerable in more honorable ways, if I can even argue that. So yeah, that's basically just gonna wrap up my entire analysis of this whole white traveler complex. And the fact that, oh, you know, you're coming from an in quotes, developed continent, whatever, again, that means, and on what basis that development was established, that's another question for another day. But I'm gonna get into my story now about what happened in Mauritius. So again, if now you're listening from the beginning of the podcast, it might be a bit, you know, cut off. But um, yeah, I'm just gonna get right into it and uh, use this as my sort of context for building my case for why I think this is actually racially motivated. So let's get into it. So one of the first issues, I mean, we arrived at this hotel and um, yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people, uh, even from Kenya, go to Mauritius for holiday. It's like, you, you find certain people going, it's not like you can't find like, you know, a black African there, right? And obviously people from Mauritius have certain roots. I mean, I'm not saying all, but obviously there's quite a few people that have roots that come from places like India, Pakistan, etc. So there's, there's many different roots. It's a very diverse island though. And uh, in terms of like religion, uh, social values, etc., all these different things, it's quite a diverse island. Uh, but one thing that I did notice at this specific hotel that we were staying at is that we're literally the only black African family and the only other black person that was there that I could personally see was a young boy and he was adopted into a white family. And that's also a discussion for another day. But from the first day, literally this is day one, man, I'm just chilling, we're sitting down and it's like, so the way people look at you is so shameless. So those, those are an old white man, he started looking at me and just essentially started staring until we made eye contact and I'm just wondering, what, why are you looking at me, right? And obviously, you know, I didn't think of anything at, at that, that far, essentially. I didn't really think at that point that this was racially motivated. I just said, this person's being weird or there must be something wrong. So I just sort of let it go. Then the same day, right, when we're heading to the reception, there's an, a, a middle-aged lady that gives us this look. It's like, you know, a look of curiosity. It's as if like, you know, we were some of the exotic animals that they were coming to see. That's generally how I felt. And she essentially stared so shamelessly until again, we made eye contact and that eye contact did not break. And I'm just wondering what's going on here. Um, so that's, that's just like the two first incidences that I came across. And personally, I was just confused. Like, why are you looking at us? And this is again where, this is again where I started to think about Du Bois, Fanon, what they said about isolation and essentially knowing that you're a black person. So obviously I'm like, you know, we stuck out like a sore thumb. That's one thing for sure. Whether it was the way that we're dressing, whether it was just the way we're being as black people essentially. So it's like, you know, I was just telling my sister that I, I honestly, I would not be surprised if someone mistook me for like, you know, for staff. But something else happened that was quite, quite interesting if you ask me. So I just come uh, from a class at an online class. Uh, I know holiday class, whatever it is, what it is. I was going out to sit uh, by the beach and 
I just wanted to grab like a cold coffee basically uh just to sort of chill and read a book at the same time. So I brought out my bag because my bag has my my stuff that I use for like you know taking notes because when I read I take notes a lot of the time. So I was just sitting there and then one of the staff approached me and they said, "Oh yeah, do you want a drink?" I said, "Yeah, I'll have the menu." Uh and then the staff member asked me if I was a resident at the hotel. And I didn't clock that that could have possibly been a very Really motivated question until much later. And for those who are asking, the staff member wasn't white; they were local on the island, right? And they were actually one of the managers uh, there. So they, I mean, I didn't really clock it until I sat down later and I just said, "What? What just actually happened right now? Like, why would they assume that I'm not a resident of the hotel, right?" So I actually called them back later and I had a conversation with him, and I, I was very straightforward with him. And I just said, "You know, I was. You asked me a question." Uh, around 20 minutes ago and you essentially asked you know am i a resident at, at the hotel and i just asked him what made you think i wasn't because i wanted to see genuinely what did he actually think is it protocol i didn't just want to pull out you know uh in quotes the race card or whatever it's like i just wanted to be very straightforward and say like you know why was it that you thought that i wasn't or is it protocol or something so apparently you need room numbers or whatever to make an order because it's a hotel i mean a restaurant at the hotel that's what they were saying But I mean I went on and on and he said oh no it's just the fact that you know you know you had a bag and everything and I'm just like I asked him but don't tourists have bags like what if I just arrived and I just wanted to sit down and like you know have a drink like what why did you ask me specifically it just felt very odd like I said if you I mean I just said listen it doesn't really matter what your intention was the whole fact of the matter is this it's just very odd that you chose to ask me out of everyone that was sitting there right and there was a couple of people that were sitting uh, behind me as well like the fact that you chose to ask me why whether or not I was a resident and he said oh yeah i know some other people could come had come the other week and uh they were in residence it's like but again on what basis and i said the thing is like you know if you don't want to feel make your clients feel alienated like just ask a question like just or just make it very clear that you need room numbers for people to order and ask the person their room number and say that oh it's part of the you know uh part of protocol we have to ask for your room number so we can register the order with the hotel otherwise we can't take your order If I'm not a resident, I won't say a room number. And if I am a resident, I will give you my room number. So it just it felt very very odd. And for me, I still at this point I was just kind of like that was just very odd. I didn't say it was necessarily racism, but I just said it would could have been subconscious bias. Was it because of my age? Is it because I look like a young person or like a backpacker that was just you know going whatever? I mean, I don't know. But I just said, you know, the subconscious bias and I explained that to him and I just said you need to just be very careful with the way you're expressing certain things. So I walked back to my room. and apparently what happened was there was a couple that moved to the side when they they saw me and they just the, the husband or some the wife whispered something to her husband and then they just gave me really bad side eye and they were a white russian couple that's what we were able to to get from for so the, the way they were talking etc and i was just wondering what the hell is going on when my sister told me this like the the the, the next day i was like you know what what is actually going on like it's like it's not just one person at the hotel looking at me it's several people that were looking especially at me and my dad and for those who don't know as i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast me and my dad are a uh, darker skin compared to my sister and my mother so i was just wondering like what is going on like is there an, is there a problem with me it's like what else could be the problem and they weren't looking at other people like that because i'm obviously looking around now to see oh am i the only person that's being looked around, uh, looked at that way and that was the answer yes it was me so it was very very odd i just didn't know what was going on and now perhaps one of the most striking 
issues that I came across is now I was using that same path to head back to my room just to drop off one of my bags. And this is literally, I just didn't understand. I couldn't explain the situation. And it, for me, it just felt a bit odd. I mean, I just didn't know what this lady was thinking. So first of all, this is a public path. Yeah, I don't expect you to be tanning in the middle of the path for the whole world to just see and like, you know, just deal with it. Like in the middle of a path, right? It's, it's just none of my business. Just go to the beach if you want to tan, right? Now this lady puts her seat kind of in the middle of the path. It's not fully in the middle, but it's like a third of the way into the path. So obviously for me to pass, I have to go around her seat. This seat is from her room. So she's just sitting there, whatever, reading a magazine or something with her sunglasses. And I'm already just in my head writing a script. Like the way you guys, I don't know if you guys do this or if it's just me, but you know, you write a script when you're just about to walk into an uh, awkward situation and just be like, oh yeah, excuse me. I just need to pass, whatever, right? So this lady, when I, when I actually move forward and get closer to her seat, she looks at me and it's as if cockroaches landed in her seat or something. She just like literally jumped out of that seat and went to her room. And when I'm coming back from my room, I was like, first of all, that was weird. Now when I'm coming back from my room and I have to use the same path to head to the reception, the seat is still there. Wow, sorry, my inhaler just dropped. But what? It's like, did, was I that frightening to you? Or was there like a problem? It's like, she didn't move at all. It's like, oh, she just saw me. It's like, you were so frightened of me that you left your chair there. It's not, you left the chair there, the obstacle there in the path for everyone to be blocked, right? Just because you were scared or something. It didn't really make any sense to me at all whatsoever. And this is again why I said that for me, after seeing all of these different things, it made it just made it made it seem racially motivated because this was only happening to us from what I could personally see, and it was only happening to the darker skinned members of my family, right? Because they were looking specifically at me and my dad, those other people that I just mentioned earlier, and especially me. I don't know what was wrong with me specifically, but that that was one of the craziest situations that I've personally been in. Yeah. So now, before this podcast gets any longer, I'm just going to summarize with the final and perhaps one of the most malicious events. I mean, it was not like explicit, but you could tell that there was a problem, man. Anyways, we saw this old couple. And if you ask me personally, I'm pretty sure they lived through the colonial period, man. So I don't know, maybe this was like, you know, one of those times where they were like, you know, they wish they were back in the good old days. But that's anyways, I mean, that's my own extrapolation. I don't know what's in their hearts, but you should not be looking at people like this. And the fact that this was happening specifically with other guests at the hotel, it did not happen with any staff, by the way. And no, actually, it did not happen with any people of color. Let's just put it there, right? Except for obviously that event where there was a subconscious bias. But there was nothing explicit from people of color and the way they looked at us specifically, like I'd never experienced that on the island. So it was just something that was specifically at, in, in that context and it was only white people that were doing this. That's exactly why I think that that contrast for me, it just, it was, something was definitely off. So this old couple, I'm just walking past them and I can see that they're sitting somewhere. But from the side, like literally from the, from a side angle, um, what essentially happened was uh, I was walking and my, I think it was my fingers or something. They, must, they might have brushed against the, the back of the chair. So I didn't touch any of them, right? It was a huge chair, right? And I doubt, I, I didn't even feel it. It was like barely feeling it. Like, you know, I was just brushing across it. 
right? And even if I did that, you should not be looking at me like that. These guys turned their heads. I could see from the, like literally, from my peripheral vision, these guys literally turned their heads 180, just like, what, what was that, right? And I thought that would just be the end of the matter, but no, 10 minutes later, they were still looking at me until my sister actually asked, what, what's wrong with that? Did you do something? I said, no, I didn't do anything. So now the same exact couple, when we're going for dinner, yeah, they give me the same disgusting look, essentially. Same look, right? And they, 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 so they're trying to make it discreet, whatever, but I made eye contact because I was like, why are you looking at me? Right, the same exact couple. And then now the next day, the exact same thing at breakfast when we're just about to leave. And for me, I just felt like there was something off. Like, this can't be something that's just happening, oh, simply because. Like, I've done nothing to you. I don't know you. There's nothing that I'm wearing that is like, you know, oh, sticking out like a sort of... I was literally wearing normal beach clothes, like literally normal beach clothes. Just at one point, it was just like shorts, a normal shirt, like Hollister, whatever. Literally, that's what I'm wearing. Like, what? What? I really don't understand what this was, I mean, what was going on at that specific hotel. But anyways, it really put me off. And that's going to wrap it up for my entire experience. And I, I'm i just going to end by saying, yeah, Fanon and boys were extremely, they were right. Because they were, it, it was made to feel, or we were made to feel as if we were the problem. And this is all without saying a word. And this is why I'm telling people, if you are an employer, if you are someone who's working with people of color in your organization, or even if you're someone, if you're a person of color, and let's say you're dealing with like black students or something like that, you need to be very cognizant of your body language. And you need to be cognizant about how you could be creating alienation within your spaces without even knowing it. And this is the whole point. Why do you think some black people feel like they have to create their own safe spaces to discuss things that they feel won't be taken seriously in classroom? Like, imagine, for example, if this was a classroom. I know for a fact, based on my own experiences, if you've listened to my previous podcast about what happened with the whole racial incident in our classroom and the use of the N-word, right? Like, people are not going to take black people seriously in general. It's just not going to happen. People be like, oh, yeah, you're just you're probably overthinking it. You're probably overthinking it. And this is the mentality that, oh, if you don't lend an ear to someone, you're just going to keep going around in circles, honestly. But that's going to wrap it up for the podcast. Thank you guys for so much for listening. Uh, I'm going to try and get an episode out of... Um, what is it called again? <laughs> I've <even> forgotten. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I've literally forgotten the, the, the name of the series. It's Led or Liberty. Yeah, there we go. Led or Liberty. I'm going to try to drop that episode next week. We're going to be looking at the story of Felix Roland Mumi of Cameroon and how he was assassinated in Geneva by a French agent. So that's what's going to happen for next week. I'll let you guys know more about what we'll be talking about throughout the season. But thank you once again for your extended support. We've just reached 8,000 plays on Paranation. And yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful week ahead of you.